This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now, thank you everyone for joining us today. We're bringing you another one of our special guest episodes featuring someone from the world of business and this business is actually listed on the ASX. So today we're joined by Mark Allison from Elders. Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, great to be here. Thank you very much. Now, the code for Elders is actually ELD on the ASX. It's actually one of our order pad stock picks. Now, our analyst, Philip Pepe, actually has a 12-month price target of now $20 on elders, which is absolutely fantastic. That's right. So share price sort of upside from where we are over 50%. So let's hope he proves right. I hope so too. Uh, It's a bit of a tough market at the moment. Now, Mark joined Elders as a non-executive director in December 2009. He also served as chairman and executive chairman before being appointed managing director and chief executive officer in May 2014. Now, Mark actually oversaw the development and implementation of Elders' eight-point plan in 2014, which returned the company to a pure play agribusiness and resulted in the first shareholder distribution in nearly a decade. Since 2014, Elders has grown from a market cap of 50 million to 1.9 billion. That is huge. Well done, Mark. Uh, thank you. I think all credit goes to the team, our clients and uh and our suppliers who kind of all work together as we got there. Very humble indeed. We can't wait to get into this episode to chat to you about the whole sector, you know, your thoughts on what's going on in the market. Um, But before we do that, just a quick disclaimer, just for all of our audience listeners, as always, our chat is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shoring Partners. Please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor as a financial product. All right, Mark, so we're safe. We can talk in general, talk so money. to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's kick off the conversation. I guess to paint a picture, can you tell us, in your opinion, what you're seeing at the moment in the Australian agricultural sector? Yeah, well, it's it's quite fascinating because we've got all the uncertainty in the geopolitical environment, the supply chain issues, inflation issues, uh, and the uh, uh, micro and macro macroeconomic issues in agriculture. It's very very positive. So we've had uh, great uh, seasonal conditions since the uh, hundred year drought in, uh, drought in eastern Australia uh, broke. Uh, so there's good seasonal conditions across uh, broadacre cropping, winter cropping, and also summer cropping, which has been struggling uh, for a few years. So the, the dams are full, the, uh, the rivers are full. That's positive in terms of commodity prices. They're strong, and uh, the uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, dynamic has had a significant input uh, impact on the uh, broadacre cereal uh, uh, commodity prices. 
on a livestock front, uh, we've also had the herd has dropped to about uh, the cattle herd has dropped to around 23 million and is slowly rebuilding. And now with good seasonal conditions, we have uh, a lot of restocking for uh, for sheep meat. It's also a very strong market, uh, and uh, for wool, it's been okay. So, so horticulture has been okay. So across the board, it's it's quite a positive uh, situation, and and has been for a couple of years, and looks to be for another few years into the future. Some analysts are calling it, saying that we've basically seen the agricultural cycle peak. Not our analysts, though. Mm. Do you agree with that? I mean, I would say you probably don't based on what you've just said. Well, I think uh, on numbers and charts, uh, it, may, it may look that way. But uh, with a bit of uh, a dose of reality, uh, we have. if we look at uh, summer crop, for example, so a big driver there is stored water for irrigation because a lot of the summer crops like cotton uh, and rice, uh, to a lesser extent, sorghum are irrigated crops. So there's now water in the dams uh, for the next uh, two or three years as well as strong commodity prices. So you you can't see that into the future um, dropping off. It's like back to normal back to average, where previously it had been below average. If we look at winter crop, uh, we've got uh, the, the winter cropping areas around Australia are washed with money. Uh, we've had a, a great build-up to this season. Global commodity prices, uh, with a big chunk of the global uh, production being in the Ukraine and the, through the Black Sea ports, uh, this has been diminished, and there's also droughts in, nor- in the Northern Hemisphere. So that outlook looks very positive. In terms of the horticultural market, uh, it's similar. So, so I think the as good as it gets, I mean, I, I do smile myself because back when the share price was 50 cents, uh, we had analysts calling it as good as it gets. So uh, so uh, I think that's fine. But uh, the, the reality is it's a very, very strong, uh, strong apple. For our audience's benefit, could you explain a little bit more about summer crop and winter crop and what that really does mean in your industry? So, so winter crop uh, across Australia is uh, crops like uh, wheat, barley, triticale. In Australia, it's predominantly dry land. And so winter crop mm-hmm. is uh, grown, uh, you know, the Anzac Day is the prime planting day for, for uh, winter crop across Australia. And then it, it grows through the, the winter months. Now, because it's a broadacre rain-fed crop, uh, the, the inputs are lower and there's less uh, profitability in there because the, uh, the, the product itself is, uh, is more variable, uh, although you know, this is a dominant crop in Australia. Summer crop, on the other hand, because it's going through the summer periods, this is mostly cotton, rice and sorghum, as I mentioned, corn. The yields are much higher, the inputs are much higher because it's grown, it's not rain-fed, it's actually grown uh, with irrigation. It's a much stronger input-based crop. That starts maybe in October and goes through to March in harvest. Easier to control because of there's less impact on the weather, I guess, which is the biggest variable but in not your sector, summer. right? Yeah, that, that's not right. this last summer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So too much rain, not, not enough rain. It's uh, you know, similar upsides and downsides. You were very instrumental in implementing the eight-point management plan. You know, what was Elders as a business looking like back in 2014 when you did set that up? Previously, I'd run six other ag companies. So I ran the biggest competitor, the biggest suppliers to Elders. And I actually uh, came to Elders as a non-exec director when the business was in Bad Bank. During that period... Uh, obviously with uh, a reasonable experience across the industry, 30 or so years across the industry, running competitive suppliers, I, uh, I was asked to be chairman and then executive chairman. At that point, uh, it seemed to me that uh, elders, if run properly, could be a highly profitable business with a, a very high return on capital. And um, we sat down at the Grace Hotel in, in um, Sydney with 40 of our senior managers and we developed the eight-point plan. And the eight-point plan, is developed by management, by the leaders in the business, and it's fundamentally, so, so to give you the picture, um, we, we put up, or I, I put up a matrix of EBIT on one side and return on capital on the other, 
and then we allocated all the parts of the business into boxes of low EBIT, high ROC, etc. And uh, from there, uh, we developed the portfolio, ROC portfolio managed approach to elders, which is why we can continue to make money through bad seasons and good seasons, because it's a a highly diversified return on capital uh, based portfolio. Yeah, and it's definitely proven to be such a good strategic model that you just keep reinventing um, each time. So that's fantastic. I guess looking ahead now, you know, versus the next 12 uh, months outlook compared to what the, the company used to look like all those years ago, is it almost that sit down boardroom style that you have with all the managers and the directors? Is it just part of your DNA, part of part of how you live and breathe at Elders? Yeah, I, I think so because it's very. I mean, the Apple plan is a very operational type of business. So if you if you want to turn it into a, a really good slick uh, PowerPoints uh, presentation, you'd have to do a bit of work to make it uh, uh, super super uh, interesting because it's fundamentally a oper- with running these sorts of businesses. Certainly, from my experience. You like farming, you reduce the cost in capital to the point where you make good money in bad seasons, and then in good seasons you make great money, uh, but you never make bad money. Um, so for, from our viewpoint, we've got another, this is our third open plan. Uh, it completes uh, at the end of uh, FY23, and you know we set our target at, 20, at 15% return on capital and 5 to 10% mm. growth through the cycles. Um, the return on capital the half year, a couple of uh, a month ago, was just under 28%. Uh, return on capital and the growth over the last uh, of the eight point plan period, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 percent, something like that. Yeah, those numbers are really fantastic and they speak for themselves. I guess another a question that just um, is, is one that a lot of managers and directors are always facing is the question of talent. You know, so you do come from a history of the competitors. How do you find the talent market and looking for, you know, those really quality people in the business? Because that's what a lot of great business people say is it's, it's the people in the business that help you grow. So how are you finding at the moment? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, we share the same uh, uh, concerns and difficulties as most businesses. In regional rural Australia, it's very difficult to find people. We've, we've got 100 uh, vacancies that, uh, that seem to roll on as 100 vacancies. And, you know, we, we used to get people out of uh, local communities and off farms, but, the, you know, the, the farmers' kids uh, aren't coming to us because they're making so much money on their farms that they're, that they're <laughs> staying there. The, uh, you know, the, Kiwi, the Kiwis and the Yarpies and the Zims who uh, normally come out that they, with COVID, that's dried up a lot. Uh, clearly, in our industries, in horticulture, seasonal workers have dried up. So, so it is very, very difficult. And, and I think we certainly try to make it look uh, pretty easy uh, running a big ag business, but you can't come from Pitt Street or uh, Burke Street and uh, things don't apply the same way. You know, as an example, the share of wallet concept that a lot of financial services businesses have, where they sell insurance and banking, they get a whole portfolio of add-on products. In regional rural Australia, our producers share the products around with the competitors to ensure that the local community stays alive. So the drivers and the, uh, the issues to consider won't give us all of all products because then they'll know that more people will leave the, uh, the local town. It is quite a different uh, approach. Elders has been around in regional rural Australia for 183 years. And I mean, with the DNA, the pink shirts are uh, all over the place. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not uncommon to see major events like with, with pink shirts supporting left, right and centre. And we've done that for a long time. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. 180 years. Wow. Look, it's common knowledge that the company also likes to manage the business through the average cycle, right, which you just discussed. Could you tell us in a little bit more detail what kind of levers you do pull with the different conditions um, 
you know, when it's good versus when it's tough? Yeah, well, I, I think the overwhelming management tool for us is the getting the cost and capital base to a level where you make good money in bad years. So that's the first part. And we, and we did that. We took 30 or so million out of the uh, cost base uh, back then and, uh, and we haven't let it get away since then. The, the, the second key component is the diversification. So, I mean, it's, it's clear we've got diversification by products and services. We've got, you know, fertiliser, crop protection, uh, animal health. Uh, we, we do grain, sheep, bull, cattle. Uh, we've got insurance. We've got banking. Uh, we've got all the weight. So that diversification is critical. You tend to have one playing against the other. So if cattle prices are up, our agency business does very well, but our feed and processing business may not do as well uh, because the co- cost of uh, or the cogs for their production increases, but vice versa. The, uh, we also have diversification of the classic ch- geographical diversification. There tends not to be a drought in everywhere in Australia at the same time, so it tends to be in the East Coast or West Coast or South, or, but not everywhere. And we've also got um, diversification by business model because we have a, a principal position in our retail business, but most of the other businesses are agencies, so we don't have any capital exposure, which is part of the reason our ROC is so strong. Uh, and we all, more recently, we've had uh, channel diversification where we now have uh, the retail channel, which is the uh, the uh, Elders Branch Network, but we've got a wholesale channel with our acquisition of air. So, and they're normally in different geographies. So we have these multiple diversifications and we, we tend to have a low pulse rate and be quite methodical. So we don't suddenly change. With COVID, we didn't suddenly change anything. We just kept, didn't blink kept our methodical approach, look after our people, look after our communities, and uh, it's it, it works in that way. Now, we're going to hear about Mark's thoughts on commodity prices, the Australian crop report, and Aussie farmers. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. So, Mark, with everything that's been going on in the world, you know, rising commodity prices, high energy prices that we're seeing uh, throughout the country and the globe, increased demand for food products, but still some, you know, supply chain issues thanks to COVID and as the world gets back to normal. But how are the Aussie farmers out there coping at the moment? And what are you guys seeing? Uh, I I think uh, there's great resilience as a core position for regional rural Australia. Uh, And so that's the starting point. And I think the, the current situation is that it's very, very positive. We joke about uh, when lentils are being harvested uh, from farms in Victoria that they send armour guard on to uh, take them off the property because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like gold. In terms of market access, so Australia produces about 80 billion uh, pre-farm gate 
uh, of uh, production, uh, and uh, you know that's up from. Uh, for, well, I think it's got as low as uh, forty-five million a billion during the uh, during the uh, drought in Eastern Australia. So, so, in terms of the world market, that's a minor part of the world market, and uh, in terms of market access. So, so I, I guess what I'm building up is from a production position, it's very positive. Generally, commodity prices, as we discussed earlier, uh, are positive. Uh, from a um, from an input viewpoint, uh, the supply chain impacts have driven uh, inflation on input costs like crop protection, fertiliser, etc. Although, again, if you go to my favourite matrices, if, if you've got high input costs and poor market conditions, it's not good. Uh, in the box where you have good market conditions and high input costs, uh, the growers invest because they're going to get a, a significant return. So uh, I, I think from that viewpoint, it looks positive. Uh, from a uh, from a market access viewpoint, like being able to sell the product, we've, we uh, we export uh, 67% of our uh, production and uh, that, that doesn't touch the bottom globally. So uh, from a uh, uh, market access viewpoint, there's a lot of talk around, well, the Chinese uh, FTA may not be as positive, but we've actually hit our limits on that with, with beef. So we've hit the negotiated limits where there, where mm. we got to this volume, we get extra tariffs. So the extra tariffs are part of actually the FTA. It's not punishment or retribution. Um, so from that viewpoint, the, the, the market is uh, is quite solid from the comprehensive Southeast Asian trade agreement, the FTA. It's fine. We've just announced the Indian trade agreement, although excluded chickpeas. It's pretty solid. We've got the uh, the UK uh, agreement through Brexit. Um, so, uh, And we've got our Middle Eastern agreements. So, so I, I think generally, I mean, farmers will always talk about too much rain or not enough rain rather than if it's just perfect. We're, we're in a pretty good spot, but it looks, if we manage it appropriately, it looks to be extending um, for an ex, uh, for you know, the next couple of years. And recession—that's the big word that everyone's talking about. Would you say that um, just taking a step back on the broader Australian agricultural, you know, uh, market? How do you think we're set up for this? And the, people are talking about food inflation in particular. You know, what are your thoughts on on that as well? And as we as we go through the next potentially two years of this condition. Yeah, well, I, I think I mean the investment industry is uh, known for sentiment driving <laughs> reality. I mean, my sense is that we aren't headed that way. And my sense, if I if I focus in on uh, the because uh, we tend to be, the, the rhetoric tends to be and the sentiment tends to be ahead of the reality and the facts. Um, I, uh, I I think from the agricultural industry, you know, we, we've we've got a target pre-farm gate of 100 billion production by 2030 and we're well on track to achieve that post-farm gate uh, we've got a, a target so I'm chair of Agribusiness Australia and we, we've got a target post-farm gate of 200 billion and so that's um, in the processing area we're well ahead of that and you know as well as being the most noble industry in uh, agriculture uh, feeding people you know it's an essential industry because people have to eat so so maybe uh, if, if it does tighten significantly in metropolitan Australia the uh, the trade offs will be to uh, will will not be to uh, it, to the negative of food and agriculture. Agriculture really is recession proof. Like you said, people do need to eat. Yeah. Um, and you know, Australia, you know, from what you've said and what we've done research on, it's pretty self sustainable when it comes to food as well, which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Um, now. Turning our attention to probably the most important factor when it comes to the agri-sector, and you've said it earlier in this episode, 
the weather. Mm -hmm. So recently in the June 2022 report, the Australian Crop Report, um, actually released by the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics and Sciences, bodes well for elders. So it in the report, it stated a national winter crop planting for 22-23 is forecasted to be the second highest on record at 23.4 million hectares, only very slightly below the previous year. Now with the summer crops production in 2021 to 2022, also estimated to reach a new national record of 5.5 million tonnes. Can you tell us your take on the findings? Are these estimates a surprise to you or do you actually model something very similar? Um, David, I might be able to give you a surprise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> love it. We love surprises. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, given that this is the seventh ag company I've run, I think about five ag companies ago, I banned weather maps, ABAR forecasts uh, from man- management <laughs> meetings and board uh, rooms and have adopted the strategy of or the plan of controlling what you control. So, uh, yeah. to directly answer your question, um, that's it, a good way to look at it. Yeah, to directly answer your question, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, I think it's quite consistent with what we're seeing. Uh, they build it up from ground level, and we've got two and a half thousand people around Australia at ground level uh, with these people. But, but you know, really, uh, I think it's the and the analyst reports say what they do. Uh, but from our viewpoint, we, we really do like to control what we can control because, you know, yeah. if, if there's the La Nina occurring, so the question is, wow, it's going to be wetter than normal, so is that good or bad? And my answer to that is, well, you know, if it falls uh, three-quarters of the way through the uh, the winter crop, it's going to be fantastic because there'll be fungal activity and warmer conditions and they're high-margin products and they'll need agronomic services. Uh, if, if it does, So it'll be wonderful for elders. If it falls two weeks later, at head form, the yield may be way down, so it won't impact us this year, but next year there may be less cash flow with the farms. So, so it's actually quite nuanced, the impact, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And that's because you've done such a great job, I think, of really truly diversifying the the whole business. So let's go there now. You know, you, you obviously are in the retail and wholesale agricultural sector in those markets, food and processing, as you've spoken, agency services and real, real estate services as well, plus financial services. So there's a lot of moving pieces to the pie, so to speak, in the elders business. I guess my question to you is, Mark, do you see any expansion into any new product or service on the horizon that you can talk about? Um, I think opportunistically there may be adjacent expansions, but but I I think if we sit down in the quiet of day and then we look at each of those products and services, uh, then you have real estate worried about, uh, I don't know, we might be about 8% market share of our segments. Crop protection, it might be 18%. Wall, it's probably... I don't know, 25% or more, uh, with uh, fertiliser is lower. And I, I guess and in insurance, it would be like 3%. In other financial services, you know, it might be 5%. So I, I think for us, if we have a low pulse rate and we're methodical about it, we say, well, you know what, we have got so much opportunity to grow in areas that we're actually strong. And uh, so taking on adjacencies or different business models uh, where we aren't strong and we don't have expertise uh, increases the risk profile. Uh, and in, in many ways, it's a bit like control what you can control. Uh, I think we, we, we see that we've got even geographical gaps around Australia. We, we've got multiple, you know, 183 years later, we've got multiple geographical gaps in blue chip farming areas. Uh, so where, where are they? Where have you identified those spots? Uh, well, just to grab a couple, you know, where I'm from in far north Queensland, the sugarcane coast and tropical mm. horticulture. Uh, there are many gaps uh, along the coast there. Uh, we 
we've got gaps in uh, a number of gaps in Queensland. Uh, we've got gaps in New South Wales. Uh, we've filled a few. Uh, we're, we're weak in dairy uh, in the northern rivers of New South Wales. Uh, we're relatively weak. I mean, we, we go around Australia. It's, it's quite interesting for us to have gone from, you know, when I took over as chair, the first AGM was a half a billion dollar loss. And, and to have a, uh, a guidance this year, you know, in the order of 230 million profit, and mm. we're still sitting at 18% market share, and mm. it's at you know, just under 28% return on capital. We've got a lot of opportunity just by doing what we're doing and controlling what we control. That's it. And your gearing is also very low as well. So there's no real concern there moving into this tighter financial climate. I think that's right. We, When we bought uh, Air, we, we set an 18-month pathway uh, to what we thought was an acceptable gearing and, and we're significantly under that number now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good to hear. Now, look, with the rise of ESG investing, so this oh. would obviously come up a lot, climate change targets and government plans to reduce greenhouse gases around oh. the globe, do you believe that we're going to be able to hit those targets? Yeah, I think um, agriculture is kind of uh, well on the way. It's, it's quite fascinating. I, uh, I, as chair of Agribusiness Australia, we got together 30 of the top ag CEOs about two months ago in Sydney. We uh, focused on labour availability and sustainability and ESG issues. All of the CEOs around the table have their own targets, their own approaches, but we agreed as a collective that we wanted to take a collective approach to all of these issues across Australia because we felt there was quite a misunderstanding of the many, many initiatives and also the commitment. And it's probably worth noting as well, the um, one of the issues that came out of the RORT report prior to the CEO summit and, and the, the report that Agribus Australia did was uh, on the, the changing community expectations and the implications for agribusiness and that report showed that the uh, the average uh, metropolitan person and the uh, regional rural agricultural person had exactly the same aspirations on ESG and the fundamental different difference was that uh, uh, the city people wanted the uh, targets achieved straight away whereas the um, agribusiness and regional rural wanted a commercial transition where we were able to couple productivity, profitability and sustainability rather than decimating um, farms and communities. So from an elder's viewpoint, we've set our, we've set our targets uh, and uh, we're, uh, we're, we're on our way to achieving the, uh, um, the, the three sets of targets. The 2050 target is, um, is scope one and two um, net zero. The 2030 target is 50%. Reduction and and that includes um, our feedlot, which has high, like fifty nine percent of the emissions are cattle, and so in setting that target, we qualified with the emergence of technology, like the asparagopsis that uh, can help in reduce emissions, and then we have our twenty twenty five targets of one hundred percent renewable electricity um, for the business. So we hear a lot about, I guess, regenerative farming. Is that where? Mm. You guys are involved in that with the different yeah, farms. Yeah, and to your earlier question, I didn't, I didn't complete the answer to the earlier question. So, so we've got, uh, we've got three levels of our technical support around uh, agronomic issues, sustainability issues, carbon farming issues, regenerative farming issues. So we have uh, it's like a triangle, and we, we we compare it with the Nike triangle that Phil Knight put together when he uh, launched Nike all those years ago. At the top of the triangle, at the apex, is Thomas Elder Institute. And uh, that that equates to the Olympic uh, athletes that uh, Phil Knight was working on with Nike. So so that's uh, so we have the Thomas Elder Institute, uh, which uh, works closely with CSIRO uh, universities, and is like the top end. In the middle of the triangle, where we have the NRL as a the Nike uh, example. Uh, the um, for us we have Thomas Elder Consulting, which is. Uh, 
which is uh, fee-for-service. So we don't sell any products. We just uh, give agronomic advice, uh, carbon farming advice, regenerative agriculture advice, and I think there are about 50 of them. And then at the bottom of the triangle, which is the average person who puts on a Nike T-shirt and feels fitter, um, that's our agronomists, and we've got a couple hundred agronomists throughout Australia. And so so we add support and advice around all of these um, uh, precision agriculture, variable rate technology, so you know, reducing nitrogen in soils, nitrogen runoff in sugarcane. But that's a part of what we do every day. One question, if I was a fly on the wall, is what about you know the lab-grown food? Is that a big risk? You know, the, the push towards that side. Um, Cellular agriculture, I think, is um, one of the other names for it. Yeah. Do you see that as a big red flag in your industry? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, there, there is one other name, and that's uh, fake food, fake meat. But I won't provide any judgment. But no, um, Mark's not no, a fan. No, no, no beyond meat for Mark. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's quite the opposite, actually. I, I I think there's room for all the technologies. I mean, I was in the Netherlands two weeks ago, and there was a um, a tissue based uh, organisation who was. Uh, who was using cell culture, you know, taking taking biopsies of uh, meat, fat and sinew and then uh, putting some sprinkle dust in the, the lab and having a steak at the end of it all. Uh, I, I think it's, I know, it was a $300,000 steak. Did you taste it? Oh, no, I haven't that, but I, I haven't tasted that one. I have tasted um, a, a couple of the others. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I have a very open view. In my mind, the world needs yeah. protein. Whatever the source of the protein is good. Mm. Uh, I uh, One of the industry's concerns, whether it's dairy all the way through to meat, et cetera, is, is you know, why call it something that it's not? So if it's plant-based protein, when I call it plant-based protein, so there's a bit of parochialism around that. I personally don't share that view. I'm very open-minded. Uh, you know, most of uh, most of the ASEAN countries are actually plant-based protein diets, um, so it's it's not yeah. really yeah. magic. Um, but I'm not a fan of the uh, the marketing and the positioning. Because you know, just an interesting point on it. Because in this um, discussion we had uh, uh, with the founders in the Netherlands, that they, their point of difference was emissions free, and but their timing was you know another ten years, and. Uh, it was fascinating because uh, well, we talked through, well, hold on a minute, in 10 years with the technologies that we've got in the beef industry in Australia, uh, when you launch your emissions-free uh, meat, normal meat will be emissions-free. So what's the positioning? Mm. So it, it is but, but, uh, very open-minded, very open-minded. Yeah. I suppose a lot of them are, t- are coming from the viewpoint where it's also cruelty-free mm. yeah. as well, potentially. Um, but you did say a $300,000 stake. I mean, that's outrageous no one's going to be able to buy yeah. that well i mean and you know that's what happens early days with every technology but but i think i think on the yeah. animal welfare front it is uh, again it is worth noting the significant progress and also the overwhelming desire of people who raise uh, animals in uh, in agriculture to, to look after their animals mm. even if you're a person who enjoys being cruel to an animal it's still a three three thousand dollar animal <laughs> so if it's just financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think there, we've had some bad examples. The industry is uh, obviously overwhelmingly supportive of uh, of, uh, of high standards of animal welfare. Yeah, which is great to see. Let's look ahead now, the next 12 months. We did touch on it, but I just want to hear from your perspective. What's Elder going to look like in the next 12 months? Give us your outlook um, perspective. Yeah, so, so the next 12 months we'll see the completion of the third eight-point plan. 
uh, and uh, we said five to ten percent growth through the cycles at fifteen percent minimum ROC. So I suspect it might be in the twenties, and the ROCs may be in the mid uh, mid twenties as well. So from an elders' viewpoint, uh, it's it's likely that we'll continue our backward integration strategies, our bolt-on acquisition strategies, our business improvement strategies, and control what we can control. Uh, from a seasonal viewpoint, yep. I suspect the season will be uh, uh, better than uh, most of the pundits are predicting through through the next 12 months, and uh, and I suspect there'll be uh, very positive improvements uh, as well. So, so I, I think for others, you know, it is low pulse rate, so uh, maybe it's not as exciting. But you know that five to ten percent growth that we target in EPS and EBIT that came from us surveying our shareholders. Right. Do you want big bang or do you want uh, high return, um, 5 to 10% growth? And that's where we got to. There will be no chance that elders would get involved in cellular agriculture down the track. Could that be something that you may eventually branch out into? Uh, I'm not sure if it plays to our strengths because, I mean, a lot of the cellular agriculture is actually lab-based and uh, yeah. university and uh, like fermenting facility-based, which is, which is not really... Where what, what we do, we're capitalised. Outback Regional Australia. Yeah. yeah. I was just very interested. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Now, as a fun way to end our conversation, we really like to ask all of our guests the same question. So what is your preference, coffee, tea or tequila? These days, tea, actually. Tea? <laughs> yes. Interesting. Any particular tea? Uh, I suspect uh, ginger tea, actually. Ginger. Mm. I do actually really like ginger. Yeah. It's meant to be very good for you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Okay. Thanks very much. That was amazing. I love listening to CEOs when they're really passionate and have such good insights into the markets and what they're seeing. What did you think, Felicity? Yeah, honestly, he really knows his stuff and it's really impressive to see how Elders has continuously grown to be such, you know, an Australian household name. And I think in this tricky environment, um, you know, investing in food and agriculture is probably... A no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, right? Because everyone's got to eat. That's right. And they're so <laughs> well diversified and they almost have the whole supply chain. Like he was saying, just with the ESG factor, the Nike scenario from the top to the bottom end of the triangle, I see that model also throughout the whole business, right? From helping the farmers, food processing, services, insurances, everything, the whole gambit, he's got it. Well, that's it. So many different revenue streams, which is important for everyone. And I think what was also really interesting, of the total addressable market, They've only actually really, they're under 20%. So there's so Mm. much more room for growth. Yeah, as well, and only control what you can control. You know, yeah. we can't control the weather. We That's know that. It. So should, should take that into life as well. You can only control what you can control. Don't try um, other things that you cannot. So as always, guys, we're going to sign off now with our final disclaimer. Although we are financial advisors, we can only can control what we know. We don't know your personal circumstances, ah, for example. That's a good way to put yeah. that. Yeah, do you like that? <laughs> so don't take this as personal advice, and unfortunately, it's not a financial product either. As always, go out and seek professional advice before you make your own decisions. And today's episode and what we were speaking about with Mark is all based on at the time of recording and the facts known at the time, which is the 28th of June, 2022. That's it. And look, make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast or even if you didn't, please make sure you give us a five-star review (laughs) on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Five-star only. Um, If you have a problem, feel free to also 
or email us at tmtm at equitymates.com. Or if you just want to ask us any questions or have any good ideas of new episodes that we can put on, because we're always looking for new, exciting, interesting content. Uh, Until next time. Stay safe. See you then. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 